Walk in the Breaking Doctrine, presented to you by the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate at the Combined Arms Center at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. The views expressed here are those of the individual and do not represent the views of the Combined Arms Center, U.S. Army, or U.S. Government. Welcome to Breaking Doctrine, a U.S. Army Combined Arms Center podcast on Army's doctrine and our vision of war. Hello, I'm Lieutenant Colonel Nikki Dean, and today we're going to talk about the history of the most popular book in the U.S. Army. And I can say this without hesitation and without reservation that the most popular book for years has always been FM60, Commander and Staff Organization and Operations. And it's not just like mildly popular, it's routinely outstripped the runners up on the top 50 downloads for the Army Publishing Directorate's website. It covered everything from command post organization, staff roles, responsibilities, planning processes, troop leading procedures, briefings, formats, running estimates, liaison roles, and responsibilities. And it was basically the repository for all of our command and control body of knowledge. And I say that has been because there is now a new FM60 on the doctrinal bookshelf, and we also re-brought another book back into the bookshelf itself, which is FM50, covering planning and orders production. So for those listeners who've been in the Army since the era of like starching woodland camo and putting edge dressing on boots, 5-0 is not new. It's a triumphant return. But you know, if I'm going to talk about this sort of stuff, especially give the history behind command and control doctrine and why and how we came to split FM 5-0 and 6-0 apart again, um, and how our readers should approach using these books, I had to bring in some some other people to discuss this, and it's been a joy because I've been waiting to bring three people to the podcast who I've been sharing an office with for the last two years. So, Mike Flynn, Lieutenant Colonel retired, is a former infantryman, and he's been a contributing author for FM50 Planning and Orders Production, and he's speaking on behalf of the lead author, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Doug Keeler, who got poached away for a much better job and a much, probably way more stress. A lot less fun than we are. Um, my next guest is Lieutenant Colonel Retired Will Rogers, a former Special Forces officer. He's the lead author for FM60, which is Commander and Staff Organization and Operations. And also welcoming back to the podcast, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Chuck Schrankel, former artilleryman. And he is basically our, our benevolent overlord in the C2 office. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Or welcome back. Well, thanks for having us, Nikki. Thanks, Nikki. Will, he's... You're still not sure about actually being here, which is kind of No, no, it's awesome. fine. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get into the current editions of 5.0 and 6.0, which just published in May, I think it kind of helps to understand where our C2 doctrine got started and some of the big ideas that have shaped doctrine as it's evolved. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead off with Chuck because you are our benevolent overlord in the office. It's not your first time discussing that either because you discussed it on our first podcast, which was about mission command and C2 doctrine. Um, can you talk us through some of the big ideas of command and control and kind of the historical relationship between mission command and this idea of detailed command that we talk about in doctrine? Sure. So I don't know about the benevolent piece, but if that's the way you feel, thank you. Uh, you know, just a couple things about command and control and mission command and then kind of the relationship between some of the books that we're going to talk here today. Yeah, so the first thing that everybody needs to know, and I said this in the first podcast, is the command, in, in, in the big scheme of things, command and control doctrine is, is relatively new to the Army, right? We didn't publish our first command and control book until 2003, uh, where my predecessor, Bill Connor, published FM60 uh, uh, titled Mission Command, Command Control Army Forces. Uh, you know, there's a couple of reasons we did this. I think it was jealousy. You know, the Marines published the command control book uh, in 1997. Uh, the Brits had, had published a command control book, and the Canadians had published a command control book. And we were like one of the few service or a few armies out there that didn't have formal command and control doctrine. Uh, so I know Bill spent uh, about four years putting that book together. Uh, and if you are, uh, you know, of my generation, uh, and you went through a warfighter uh, seminar. Uh, or a, uh, uh, a CTC seminar, you would have heard a lot of the words I'm going to use right now. And, uh, and, and kind of the way Bill organized that book was, uh, you know, he had an upfront discussion about the nature and environment of command and control. Uh, he had a chapter on command and, and what it meant to be a commander, really, the flavor was during the conduct operations. Uh, 
he had a chapter on control uh, where uh, he introduced some new ideas in the Army, right, like information theory and a couple other things like that. That's the first time we actually talked about information management uh, in Army doctrine. Uh, he had a chapter on uh, the command and control system, uh, which talked about all the stuff that a commander has to help him exercise command and control. Uh, uh, he had a discussion in there on the Army's uh, preferred method, he called it at the time, of command and control, which was mission command. Uh, and then he had a chapter on there uh, uh, the, on the role of commander. And, and the role of commander, uh, you know, kind of talked about uh, what commanders did you know, during a conduct operations. And, and the idea there was called battle command. Uh, and you guys hear that used to be the singular word for understand, visualize, describe, direct, lead, and assess. Uh, and that was based off some of General Franks' ideas uh, after General uh, Desert Storm, uh, where he was trying to figure out like what he did differently uh, during, op you know, between garrison operations and during a conduct operations uh, downrange. Uh, and then he had a chapter in there on, on the operations process. And this was the first time the idea of, you know, plan, prepare, execute, and assess, I believe, had been written to. Uh, and really, that was the so what of the C2 book. Because, you know, the first couple of chapters, it was like good to know info. Uh, but really, what mattered was this ops process. Because that was our model for how you put command control into action. Uh, and, and that's why you hear people kind of talk about uh, the Army's model for exercising command and control as the commander drives the operations process. Uh, so that was all captured in 6.0. 6.0 captured, uh, introduced uh, formally the term mission command uh, and gave a definition to it. I will tell you that, that uh, you know, Army uh, military history is rich with examples of, you know, decentralized execution and subordinate initiative and mission type orders. Uh, I don't want to go into a lot of detail. I know one of the, you know, one of the a good examples like what happened here, okay, in the 1800s, the Lewis and Clark expedition. And if you look at kind of the commander's intent for that thing, and then they sent, you know, 45 gods on an 8,000 mile expedition with like two pages worth of, uh, two pages worth of written order and, and like five lines of commander's intent, right? So, so we have a strong history of that. Uh, we, we formalized that in 2003 when we brought up this idea of mission command. Uh, and, and really, mission command was, was a preferred method of command and control. And we had a little diagram in the book that, that, that kind of compared and contrasted two different styles. Uh, we had detailed command and control uh, and mission command and control. And kind of detailed command and control, you know, stemmed from the belief that success came from imposing order and, uncert order and certainty on everything. Uh, mission command, and uh, mission command uh, you know, was more appropriate if you believe that the kind of combat was uncertain and that your subordinates were going to have to make decisions on their own because you weren't going to be assured communications or anything else. Uh, and, and so that was the diet, the chart that was built on. But then we also had discussions that, like, reality is commanders have to exercise a combination of the two, uh, you know, during the conduct operations. So that was FM60. Uh, at the time, Mike's book, okay, or FM50, uh, was titled Planning and Orders Production. Uh, and that was the Army's planning book. So when you say Mike's book. Yeah, I'm sorry. That uh, was yeah, Mike, Flynn. Mike Flynn's book. And now it's back around to Mike Flynn's book again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so Mike Flynn's book, uh, you know, it had been 101-5 in 97, called, uh, I believe, Commander and Staff Organization and Operations. In the early 2000s, we went to the joint uh, numbering system uh, and so 2001, you know, our operations manual became FM30. 2003, our command and control book became command, uh, FM60, or the first command and control book was titled FM60. And then our planning and orders production book became FM50, which kind of nested with the joint, uh, uh, with a joint system out there. Uh, we had that for probably the better part of five years. Uh, and then we made some changes, right? So they decided they were going to change the focus of FM50. Uh, from planning and orders production to the operations process. So really it tore a lot of the information uh, out of FM60 and put it at FM50. And now you could not really understand command and control until you read the two books uh, kind of together. Right? Is, that, is that what drove the 2013 edition that brought them back together? Was it this, this need to want to rectify and put the orders process or orders, staff functions, back into the C2 process and C2 doctrine? For, you know, a couple of years, we had a standalone 6.0 and a standalone 5.0. Yeah. Uh, 
and then, you know, fast forward to 2011 timeframe, and they introduced this idea of doctrine 2015, and we're going to reduce our manuals uh, and, and kind of change the structure of our doctrine And because we, we were restricted to 50 manuals. Uh, the director at the time made the decision that we were going to give up FM50, uh, that we were going to keep the FM60 number, okay, alive, and it was for purely, like, technical reasons because the system they use up at uh, uh, the Army publishing directorate, like, wouldn't let you uh, revive numbers, I believe. Yeah, I, th I think, Chuck, so this would be interesting for the audience here is kind of how they think, uh, you know, we talked about, when we get to the future a little bit, we talked about we re-split, we now have a, an FM50 on planning and an FM60 on, on uh, the commander staff organization operations. One of the reasons why, uh, in, in addition to we could only, in this Doctrine 2015 program, only have 50 FMs, a reason of combining both 5.0 and 6.0 was so you could have a one-stop shopping kind of idea. And so it was like, hey, listen, if I can have a book that had, you know, command posts, uh, you know, some fundamentals on command posts, the duties and responsibilities of staff, and then also have what's the planning processes, MDMP, uh, in it. And then the orders format, you'd have a book, basically, that a staff officer could have, and it would be holistic. This is my job. This is how I do the planning process. And then, um, you know, here's how I write my order. Man, I was hoping for, like, some deep reason why, but if it's ease of use for the staff, that's, that's kind of baller. <laughs> Well, I mean, so, and a lot of people, and this is why I asked the question to the audience, I think that when we think about it is, is, so that was good justification. A lot of people liked the idea that you had it together. And now when we split it apart again, and there, we'll talk about reasons why we did that, but, but now you have two books. Now, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but the benefit now of having 5.0 all on planning is now we can have a rich discussion of all the planning methodologies, the fundamentals of planning, et cetera. Um, but we've had some discussion on what's best. You know, two books or one, but we went to two. So anyway, I, I'll turn it back to you, Chuck. So, so thank you. Uh, and, and I'm a big fan of, you know, single points of reference. One of the problems with Doctrine 2015, I thought, was we call it the, the go fish approach to doctrine where, you know, you'd read a line in an ADP, it would reference you to another book to go find more information, and that book would reference you someplace else because of this idea that you couldn't be, uh, uh, you couldn't be redundant, right? You can only write something in one place. It was, it was not a good way to do business. Um, but doctrine 2015 was implemented. We could only have one FM. That was FM, and, and the decision was made to keep FM60 as uh, a, a field manual number, but we changed the name from, you know, Mission Command, Command Control Army Forces to uh, Commander Staff Organization and Operations because really that FM60 took all the pieces and parts from the original FM50 and the original FM60 uh, and, and had to jam them all into one book. And they were all kind of related ideas, but there wasn't like a good logic. Uh, you know, we try to order it along, the, you know, the, the lines of the operations process. Uh, but because of some restrictions that were in place at the time, it just was not the most logical book. Uh, and it was like written in a hurry. And like, I know it was really popular, but it was never uh, like something I was really proud of, you know, coming out of this, uh, this particular shop. So we're gonna, if, if the audience hasn't caught on, there's a lot of terms that get kicked around. And especially if you're, if you're new to the Army or if you're encountering command and control doctrine, all of it for the first time, certain terms kind of quickly come out of of us and it's it's intrinsic to our it just it's intrinsic knowledge really does so I'm, I'm i like i said i've worked in this office for two years and i will ask random questions all the time about why things are the way they are and then an hour later i emerge questioning all of my life choices and it usually starts out with mike answering well you know that's interesting so i'm gonna lead off with you mike what is planning so I, I think I think this segues nicely to just this conversation we just had, and and maybe one of the reasons why we have separated the books. So we have this new FM50 that I got to help write with Doug Keeler, and uh, got a lot of uh, participation from across the Army. So we can't say it's Mike's book; it's the Army's book. We've had a lot of folks work on this, 
And, you know, Nikki, as you said, um, it, it's kind of neat for me because I've seen the full circle now because when I joined up CAD um, over 20 years ago, um, I was active duty, and my first assignment was to write FM50, planning and orders production. And now 20 years later, I get a chance to get at it again. And, and so the question, what is planning? And I think this is the benefits of having the conversation and planning in one book. Because when you looked at the old FM60, you got an opportunity to have actually like the MDMP in there and troop leading procedures in there. But where's the discussion of what is planning? What is good planning? What are the functions of plans and orders? That type of thing. So with the new FM50, that gives you some room to have that kind of conversation. So the new book is able to consolidate the fundamentals of planning as well as all the planning processes. And so chapter one, uh, the nature of planning answers that, or gets to try to answer that question. What is planning? And what is the differences? And what are some principles of planning that help guide effective planning? And then we also, at the end, end it with, well, what are some planning pitfalls? Some things to guard against. And so that's the benefit. You know, we do have a formal definition of what is planning. So it's defined, planning is the art and science of understanding a situation, envisioning a desired future, and determining effective ways to bring that future about. Pretty simple kind of uh, uh, a definition of what planning is. So if you look at, if you dissect that a bit, first it's art and science. And so the art part is all the judgment you're applying to how to solve problems. And chapter two of the new FM50 is operational art. So we have that conversation about some of the, the um, uh, art side of planning. Now the other word is science. You've got to be, you can think of a lot of, of great ideas, but it has to be able, you have to be able to execute the plan. It has to match reality. And so the science part of planning is all the details and the technical things movement rates, fuel rates, combat power analysis, those type of things. So that's important, uh, a part about what is planning. It is both art and science. And then of course, in order to, to, to do, you know, planning involves making decisions in advance. And so in order to make good decisions, you gotta understand. So our planning methodologies, all of our steps of the planning methodologies, whether it's the military decision-making process, whether it's army design methodology, whether it's troop leading procedure, it all begins with this first kind of step, understand. The purpose of mission analysis in the MDMP is to understand. So we're trying to do our best we can to understand, to make decisions, and now we gotta get into the science part of it. How are we gonna coordinate the multiple activities that might be involved in it and all the resources uh, to make that plan to get after that future uh, condition or the objectives you want. So uh, I think that's, that's important just in the definition of planning. And so chapter one, again, it, uh, is, is focused on, on the nature of planning. It gets to all these kind of things like, what is it? Uh, this idea of art and science also, I think a big idea in, um, in, in the nature of planning is this idea of the difference between conceptual and detailed planning. Because there's always a conceptual aspect, thinking about coming up with broad ideas, but then those big ideas have to be tied to the detail aspect. And, and sometimes we associate some types of planning methodology with those conceptual uh, side of planning and detail. So a lot of times we associate in the book, we associate like army design methodology and operational art is associated with the conceptual aspects of planning. But you gotta kind of make sense of that and put it in reality. And so the MDMP, the military decision-making process, we kind of associate more on the science, though there is conceptual components to the MDMP, of course. So those are some big ideas that are in the chapter one um, uh, on what is planning. And, and I hope I was able to answer that question. Okay, so yes, boss. Yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, so that's what's in 5.0, and that's why it's a big deal. Yeah. But we didn't have that book for the better part of like seven years, right? The Army did not have really a dedicated planning manual uh, because we had rescinded that book. So, uh, you know, that caused some problems, right? Number one, 6.0 was not 
probably detailed enough in the right ways. It, it didn't get enough theory. Uh, and then we were not, you know, we were the only service out there that did not have a dedicated planning book. You know, the Joint did, the Marines did. Everybody else had a dedicated planning manual, but we did not. Uh, so 2019 timeframe, when uh, the decision is made that we're kind of going to start you know, bring it back, do some, undo some of the things we've done in the 2010, 2011 timeframe, you know, be able to talk about command and control again, you know, uh, uh, you know, come up with a, with, with a taxonomy for command and control that didn't include, you know, a mission command as a function, mission command as an approach to, or philosophy of command and control, mission command as a war fighting function, you, you know, you could actually talk in terms of command and control. Uh, we also went and made the pitch to the boss, uh, the director, uh, that hey, maybe it would be a good idea to bring back FM50. Uh, you know, we think that 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 not having a dedicated planning manual has hurt the army, uh, and 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 if we are allowed to split that information out and, and bring back FM50, uh, then we can probably make FM60 a better book. Uh, it's not the original command and control book. But we kind of organized it along the command control system, and it makes better sense uh, organizationally that way. Uh, and he bought it, right? General Lundy was actually the, the CAC commander at the time that kind of approved that idea. So Will's predecessor, uh, Will wrote FM60 and Doug wrote 50. The folks that started those books uh, back in the day you know, got to work on, on two separate FMs. So part of the command and control system is you know, there, there's there's responsibilities of a staff. Well, what is, according to your book now, what is a staff? So the staffs are the people, uh, and they're, they're the subject matter experts that support the commander in making and implementing decisions. And, and that entails everything from maintaining the running estimates, the coordination, the synchronization, uh, the plan, executing the planning process, uh, all the different things, even battle tracking, all the different things that help the commander in order to control the operation and, and make the decisions that are needed uh, within the operation. So how does that all work? Because I was going to ask Chuck, you know, what's a C2 system? Like if you, could, if you could put it in the simplest terms for a new lieutenant to understand it, like what is that? But really, both of you fight, not fight. <laughs> Again, in the simplest terms out there, the C2 system all right, is all the stuff available to the commander to help him exercise command and control. And the, and the logic goes something like this, command and control is really hard, the commander needs help, therefore we're gonna give him some things to accomplish you know, a series of tasks that allow him to exercise authority and direction during the conduct operations. And that's where you get into the component of the uh, command and control system, you know, the people, the processes, the networks, and then the command posts themselves is kind of how we bend those ideas and talk about them. Mm. You, know, you know, one of the neat things, you talk about the people, and one of the neat things we did in this manual with the help from the uh, MCCOE Sergeant Major was we added, actually added NCOs into this manual. And so there's a lot of staff NCOs out there uh, that previously we didn't talk about their duties and their responsibilities uh, within the manual. And so we brought those folks in. And when we looked at the uh, command post, we realized that there's some uh, some critical uh, specialties within the command post that help the command post run and day-to-day -day operations. And we added those specialties in as well. Your digital master gunners, your knowledge managers, uh, your operations sergeant, uh, those type of folks uh, that we brought in uh, to the manual as well. So I think that's a good plus, a good add to the manual that talks holistically about all the different folks, just our, our, our coordinating our personal and our special staff officers but adding some of these other specialties in uh, that the Army has spent a lot of money and time training as well. So I got one for Mike, because you and I have discussed this before on the podcast about orders production and some of the, the struggles of orders production, which is really, that's that is probably the most all-encompassing thing that a staff will face, aside from trying to find coffee to keep functioning. What in your, if you were to tell somebody that, that never encountered the tome that is an Army order what would you tell them as an order? So I'm going to bring us in a little bit of a circle here um, because so we said, you know, a product, a product of planning is an order. And an order is simply just a directive. I'm directing subordinates to do things. And then you, so you go, so, it, so this is why it's important now because 
because we got to now make an association of planning to this thing called the greater operations process. So you spend a lot of time planning to develop an order. An order is a directive based off of the situational understanding and decisions at the time you wrote the order. But the enemy has a vote, right? And we're going to go we're going to go through this thing called the operations process which has planning, preparing, actually executing an assessment. And it's all based off of the beginning part of this order. And so that gets a little bit, you have to be familiar with ADP 6.0 and ADP 5.0 to understand planning, but there's a relationship of planning to the operations process that produces this order. And things change, and so the order's going to change. And so we talk a little bit about how that, that functions throughout an operation. Um, but then we go, okay, so the question was, the what is an order? So it's a directive. One thing we've got to remember about Army doctrine is it's written for Army forces, and it goes all the way from the theater army all the way down to rifle squads and teams. And so you think about all of those have to plan, and it's, it's hugely different from a platoon leader using the troop leading procedures and producing an order, which sometimes is verbal. Right, all the way up to a theater army, and we talked about coffee and tomes, but there's a big difference between those two things. And so an order can be verbal. Um, it can be in different formats, for example, routinely in, 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 in fast-paced operations, battalions will do matrix orders um, that have like an overlay, kind of a very short order, um, all the way up to what we talk about in, uh, you know, at higher core and, and theater army levels. Fundamentally, though, all of them have a basic parts, and that's five paragraphs that we're trying to cover. The base order always covers, you know, the situation, the mission, execution, what is the concept of the operation, how this all ties together, um, sustainment, and then command and control at the end. So, so all orders have five parts to them. Um, and, and, and again, depending on where you sit within echelons, they can be verbal, they can be relatively simple, all up to very complex detailed orders, um, you know, at higher levels. Well, Mike said the word situational understanding. What is that? Oh, wow. To so you. Yeah, you know, we define it in the book, and, and we define it as applying analysis and judgment. Uh, to the information available. Uh, and we talk about, we do that through uh, mission our analysis of mission variables and operational variables. But uh, situational awareness, I mean, I guess if I had to tell you in layman's terms, it's understanding what's going on around you and, and, and understanding the situation you're in. And it expires. I mean, it's constantly being reframed. You're constantly re-looking at you know, what's going on in the situation, the environment around you, and determining how, that, how you apply that and how that, how that affects you. Uh, within your operation so I want to get back to this orders discussion real fast because we get a couple questions up here fairly often and and the first one deals with what is a mission order uh, and and people beat us up and they go well you say write a mission order but then I get these orders that are like 300 pages long from higher headquarters uh, and, and I don't get what's going on and, and so when you look in the book and how we kind of write to it, it's, it's just a mission order is a way to write orders. You know, it's on a separate type of order. It's a way to write orders, an approach to writing orders, where you kind of emphasize the what, you know, not the how. Uh, you know, you don't re, re, you try to write it to where you, you, you place as few restrictions on your subordinates as possible. Uh, you don't regurgitate a bunch of SOP stuff in there. You don't regurgitate, you know, a bunch of doctrine. You don't copy and paste. Uh, you know your higher headquarters in, uh, annex in there, and then add more stuff onto it, uh, because I think that just causes like orders to get bigger and bigger, right? So that's that's just what we mean when we talk about mission type orders. And do you do you want to? Is that about right, Mike? I think you're about right, right. There, Jeff. So that's, that's one. The, uh, the other one is is I get this question. I get called probably about every two months, and someone wants an example of a doctrinally correct order. Uh, and that one really kind of leaves you scratching your head because we write. And in their mind, a doctrinally correct order is every, you know, every paragraph, every attachment filled out. Uh, so, yeah, right. I mean, it's it really, I mean, really, they think that. 
and that's not what we say, right? In the book, I think we say, you know, is there enough information there to get the job done and you don't need to fill everything out as long as people understand. And, and we have a couple other guidelines in there that I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but, but so, you know, in order, you, you write your order the way you, that you need to do it, you know, to kind of run your organization. Uh, this idea of, of uh, uh, you know, being too big, you know, we kind of view it that, that uh, and, and like, how do you assess the proper level of detail? You, you know, I'm not going to give you a metric. I will tell you if you're at home station getting ready to deploy uh, and you've had six months to kind of think about the OE you're going into and write your deployment order, that thing is probably going to be pretty big and pretty detailed, and that's okay. All right, there's nothing wrong with that. That's that, you know, deployment is a fairly uh, uh, complicated kind of deal. Uh, once you're downrange and conducting operations, you know, you in theory you would get shorter fragos that 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 you could operate off of, and in the size of yours would get smaller uh, over time. Yeah, I, I think that's an important point, Chuck. In in that, you know, your example from home station deployment, but even in operations, and you're starting a new operation um, within a, an area of operation in a theater, that order probably is going to be, you know pretty long and pretty detailed. Um, but then that's the, the, the flexibility of the fragmentary order because you set out your, you know, your initial order, but then it's adjusted. And now we're back to kind of the operations process and we're adjusting things based off of uh, changing circumstances. And the frago, um, again, five paragraphs, right? That modifies the base order. You don't have to go back and rewrite all these things, just what is modified. And, and the use of fragos, is very helpful in keeping, uh, you know, uh, directives um, kind of short and to the point. So I want to ask all three of you to, because there's a there's a term that gets used, especially in relation to mission command, decentralized execution, and why it's so important from the lens of five O and six O to look at those words. And I want to ask all three of you, what does decentralized execution mean to you, based on your experience working in C two doctrine? How would you translate it to somebody else that never encountered mission command as a philosophy before? I'll start. I, I, so this, this is just opinion, right? And just based off of experience. Decentralized execution does not mean hands off, right? There's always a higher headquarters. The higher headquarters has the responsibility to help synchronize activities amongst subordinate units. Um, but the idea is, if you are, if you provide your subordinate um, intent, a good task and purpose for what they're supposed to do, and you provided them with the resources to do it, um, you don't need to have detailed uh, uh, instructions and synchronization for everything they do. And that gets back to this idea of mission command. Um, so, so that's one piece. However, there are places where we need to be kind of centralized. And you can pick those, an air assault operation, um, very synchronized at first. Will's a paratrooper. An airborne operation until you jump out of the airplane is very synchronized and detailed execution. When the little group of paratroopers get out of the aircraft and we're scattered all over the place, well, now we're, 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 we're into the decentralized execution point and going after the intent of what we were supposed to do. So there's a balance there between, you know, uh, centralized and decentralized execution. But the only thing I want to bring out is a lot of folks will say we use the word decentralized execution, so it's like hands off, don't kind of tell me what to do anymore. But it's, you have to. I mean, operations require synchronization from the higher headquarters. How about you, times. Will, with, especially given your background, what did it mean to you, not just FM60, but also from the yeah. SF community? Yeah, you know, not, not everybody can be in direct contact with the commander at all times. I mean, some folks will go, you know, 24, 48, 72 hours, 96 hours without ever making contact with their higher headquarters. So understanding the intent, understanding what the end state to that is, and then operating within those confines. So having the flexibility to sua sponte, when the situation doesn't unfold the way you had anticipated in planning, uh, to be able to make decisions on the ground to accomplish what's supposed to be accomplished uh, in a timely manner. 
Uh, and I think a lot of decentralized execution, I think a lot of mission command, when we talk about mission command, is just that. It's not this overt risk-taking or cavalier-type attitude to operations, but it's actually executing it as best as it was planned, but yet having that flexibility to make decisions uh, for yourself and, for, and, and within the ranks, you know, the, the good ideas. Uh, we look back through time, there's plenty of vignettes out there about uh, our, our junior leaders coming up with decisions at the time or, or just making those decisions uh, that they actually save the day. And so I think decentralized execution has a lot with that sua sponte type attitude. I think I probably have a little bit different take on the decentralized execution piece. Is it because uh, of your history with doctrine or is it because of your history as an artilleryman? Yeah, both, ah. I think, right? So, <clears throat> you know, in the way I tried to write to it in this uh, and, and the way it was written to in 2003, you know, decentralized execution, like mission command was part of it, but but decentralized execution meant the plan was still kind of, you were still executing the plan and adjusting as required. And there was a couple of things you needed, right? So like first you needed guys that were trained. You kind of needed well-trained, competent forces uh, that were comfortable operating together. They were a team, you know? Uh, and the big, one of the big ideas was, you know, during the conduct operations, hey, I'm gonna talk to my guy in my life. I'm gonna, I, you know, if, if it's a, Brigade operation, battalion commanders are cross-talking uh, to synchronize their actions, all right? You're not going up to your higher headquarters and then going down or calling up and asking permission and then going down, all right? Uh, so, so, you know, the teams, the teams aspect of it and the competence and training aspect of it, uh, you kind of had to have shared situational understanding in this whole deal. Uh, which meant that your information systems and and uh, and again crosstalk was working the way it was supposed to. Okay, so I could we all kind of had a common operational picture that we could operate off of uh, uh, while we were doing this. And then finally, you know this 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 system, this this mission command or command control system, the commander, you know, didn't have to spend all his time doing kind of detailed synchronization and integration during an operation. You know, and, and bugging his guys all the time for information because because this was going to be the power of the ABCS and the power of the network. He could look on his screen and kind of see who was making progress and who wasn't. And if things looked like they were going okay, then he'd have to bug his guys with a ton of information requirements that were going to take their attention away from the operation, all right, and trying to answer an RFI for, far, for higher headquarters. So to me, those are kind of the big ideas behind it. Uh, you know, everything that Mike and Will said is absolutely 100% sure, uh, positive. But to me, decentralized execution is more how you conduct an operation that is still kind of going according to plan uh, and the way you envisioned it. And, and you're letting your subordinates, I shouldn't use the term self-synchronize, but I will, okay, because people don't really like it. Uh, but but they, they help synchronize each other, and then the commander just weighs in when he needs to. Uh, to kind of give guidance and direction based on, you know, his updated uh, understanding of what's going on. Uh, you know, uh, the little group of paratroopers is like things have gone to heck and, you know, we're 15 miles from our original objective and we got to figure out how to make, make stuff happen. Uh, or I've been out of contact for five days and I need to, and I need to make stuff happen. So I got a little bit different take on it, I think. Than so I think that's kind of, that's a unique point for us to bring up now when we talk about this FM50 and this FM60 is that writers bring their experiences and the lenses that they use to actually begin that process of, of developing an Army publication or revising an Army publication that already exists. And it takes a really thoughtful and deliberate methodology to kind of ensure that we research, we write, and then we staff these books in a holistic sense because, like I said, we all have our own lenses from which we write and from which we review books. So I want to talk a little bit about the process of, of these two specific books. And I'm going to start with FM60, Will, like, just some background information about, obviously, Boss said, this book is your book, and he handed it to you from down on high. But more importantly, it was you had a separate process that you were going to use to be able to gather the right information, research and write. What, what stood out to you in your experience doing that? So... If you're asking how we put the book together, or you're asking the, the architecture of the book? All of it. All of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I guess when FM60, when they took planning out of FM60, what are you left with? And, and one of the first places we went and we decided was ADP60 had just come out in 2019, which was Chuck's book. And 
it spent a lot of time talking about the C2 system. And C2 system is the way the commanders can actually put in, in order to command and control, they're going to build their C2 system. So we had talked about, hey, we're going to build a, an overview. We need to make a tie-in to ADP 6.0. And that's one of the things we do a lot of times in Doctrine. When you write a, a lower-level manual, you'll start off with an overview of that manual, but you'll do a tie-in to the next higher manual. Uh, FM 5.0 actually has that. Their first two chapters are a tie-in back to ADP 5.0. And so the first chapter we did that, but then we described the C2 system. So we separate our chapters uh, based on the people, the processes, the network, and the command post. And so we built it along those lines. So where do we go for that? A lot of times we go back to historical doctrine. We go to higher doctrine. We go to historical doctrine. Uh, and, and even with, the, with FM 6.0, we went down to ADP 6.0.5, which is actually the command post manual. And we brought a lot of that information up and they expanded upon that in order to build out the command post manual. Um, some of the stuff that you'll find in FM 6.0, especially on CP survivability, which is a really big topic right now. Uh, we went over and participated with the concept guys as they're going through their CP survivability experiment and, uh, and some of the things that were coming out of there initially in their concepts. And, and not really the concept data, but the ideas. And so things like emissions control, which we found in uh, FM 312, and, and bringing some of that in with the electronic, uh, electromagnetic protection task and, and looking through that and how those apply today. Uh, there was lessons learned uh, from the call folks that were coming out of NTC about how units were applying that as they went into the box and they were having, uh, they were being DF'd and, and electronic war, electromagnetic warfare uh, operations against them and all that. And so uh, we looked at a lot of that type of stuff, uh, research as we wrote uh, individual paragraphs and kind of put that together and made it make sense. When you sent the book out to be staffed worldwide, uh, uh, any interesting feedback come back from the Army about a new version of FM60? Uh, I think it was very positive. I mean, Chuck can attest to that. We actually got phone calls saying, hey, this was a great idea. And uh, they really liked the information that was in there. Now, a little bit of that was ATP 6.0.5 was a very popular book to begin with. You know, as folks went to set up their CPs and organize them, the layout and operations and the functions, uh, that was a very popular book to begin with. So and that a was lot the, of that, the command post. Command post. That's the command post manual. Yeah, if I didn't say that, sorry. That's the command post manual. And um, so a lot of that was because we had integrated some of that information that they really liked there. And, we, and then we tied it in with the, the different staffing elements and, and types of staffs uh, and such. And so once we kind of tied all that together, it gave them a one-look one snapshot on that. Uh, was there anything that really stood out? I don't know if there was any single item stood out or just a myriad of a lot of different Yeah, the, the only thing that I remember is, uh, uh, you know, the original plan when we wrote 6.0 uh, was that was actually going to rescind, the FM 6.0, that was going to rescind the command post ATP. Uh, and we got a ton of phone calls that said, do not do that. That's a good book. Leave that there, uh, and and so, you know, my book is organized around the command control system, of which command post is one of the components. I got to write something on command post. And I don't want to just put BS together. So we kind of pulled a couple of chapters up from the command post ATP. We're leaving the command post ATP there. I got a uh, uh, an officer, a sharp guy that showed up a couple weeks ago, and he's getting onboarded right now. Uh, and then his project will be to, to revise the command post ATP over the next couple of years. It's funny, but, that, but that some, conversation's going on on Twitter right now. I'm not even joking. It's oh, happening it really? on Twitter about, yeah. oh, this the command post book. Really? Are we do, are we updating it? Because everybody's apparently excited oh, about it. Nerds well, are excited. As long as I understand, it. it's like a two-year kind of deal. It'll be 18 months <laughs> or two years. And uh, and then they were they they were thrilled with the fact that I think that 6.0 made sense. FM 6.0 was organized. There was a logic to it, you know. Um, and and you could read it kind of front to back, and it kind of told a little bit of the story rather than the mishmash of things that had been before. So D uh, Doug isn't here to speak on his experiences of, of taking FM50 for the staffing, but Mike, you've been, you two have been working on this book for a while. And yeah, sure, Nikki. I mean, so so something about CAB itself and, and, and our our division, the command and control division of, of CAD, there's six of us. Three civilians, they're a little older, and have been, <laughs> Thank you. Been, Thank you. been around for a while. I mean, everything from Desert Storm all the way up. And then we have 
three active duty officers that help write it. And so I bring that up because you have historical background and experience and we get always, every two or three years, a new officer comes in, you get fresh ideas. What's current with the field? So, you know, we're talking about FM50 and FM60, but, but that on the research side, the reliance on new officers coming in, just within the C division, I, don't, I only mentioned six folks, but then you get to CAD and it's broader than that. Same thing with other divisions. And so the research just brings people that have experience. The other thing is um, on research is we actually then will go out and do things. So we mentioned command post, right? When we wrote that command post book, which has been updated in FM60, but two trips to the National Training Center to view and three warfighters to look at core division uh, uh, command posts to help inform, um, and not just like the division command post, but when you got a, like a, a division warfighter out there, you get a look at the sustainment CP, the uh, the CPs of the um, uh, like the MEB, uh, the aviation CP. You get a look at all the various CPs. So there's actual going out and researching, and then we'll mention like call uh, and some lessons learned. <clears throat> But another unique opportunity too, <coughs> excuse me, is being here on Fort Leavenworth as we have the college. That's the Command and General Staff College. If you're not familiar with our, our benefit right, right down the street. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and so all that experience there, not just the instructors, the but you're getting a thousand students that come through. Yeah. And so we will send a lot of times, you know, feeders out there and some of these ideas. Plus every once in a while we go over there and we teach. And we get direct feedback from folks right out of the field. And so that's helpful. And then we talked about Army staffing, right? Everything we do gets staffed Army-wide. Not only just in the institutional Army of like the trade-off schools and centers and COEs, but all the units get a feedback. And so that's a form of not just feedback, but research and good ideas. So, uh, it, you know, it's, there's lots of research that goes into this, and I kind of explained just some of those things. Um, to try to produce the best book, you know, we can for the Army. So this gets me into a point a little bit. We, we've had this discussion on Monday in which all of us were in the conference room together duking it out over who knows what, something doctrinal and nerdy. But um, we were discussing what happens when doctrine, when one part of doctrine changes ahead of another and how timelines can desynchronize and what that can ultimately pan out to be, which is, you're sitting down with two books and you're like, oh, shoot, something's, there's a discrepancy between these. What happens? Why, do, first of all, boss, why does that happen? It, 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 okay, so a couple things, right? So, so in a perfect world, you know, your, your, your capstone manual is going to publish big ideas. Uh, and any changes to those big ideas are going to happen there every five years. And then that will subsequently drive change in your subordinate manuals uh, as you update uh, the rest of your stuff to nest with that. That briefs well. It, yeah, it sounds really good. The problem is, you know, senior leadership is really satisfied with that. Uh, and ideas change pretty rapidly, all right? So what we've kind of fallen into is, is I don't know if iter is the correct term, uh, but, but <clears throat> you know, we introduced some ideas in FM30 back in 2017 that that FM 394, 394, was that it? Is that the one we worked on? Theater Army Division Corps. Yeah, that's 394. Okay. FM 394 has a, a slightly different discussion that was in the uh, 2016 or 2017 FM 30. And the new FM 30 that's coming out in October is going to have an even more different discussion than, than the 394 did. So... <clears throat> You just kind of have to have judge, use your judgment and be aware of what's, you know, out there, I guess. Uh, things are going to change. You are going to find discrepancies uh, occasionally in doctrine. And you kind of want to look at when things were published, uh, you know, in relationship to each other. 
you kind of want to look where things are in a doctrine hierarchy, but with the understanding like FM3O is kind of a little bit different and, and kind of has turned into like the overarching driver of everything that we do, despite what the doctrine program says about ADP3O. And then, you know, there's a phone number and an email in the front of all those books, right? If you have a question, uh, just reach out and one of us will answer it uh, fairly quickly, I think. So let's get into it. We actually, because the, the books are out, they've been out since May, and we have now started to field responses back from a field that is reading the books, which is exactly what, what's the point of a book if nobody reads it, right? So one question that came out was a discrepancy between the staff reference guide, which is really detailed and very specific, and then the current FM50. How how would you advise a younger person or younger user that is new to doctrine to overcome those discrepancies aside from just going to Waypoint Direct to our office and asking Chuck to answer the question every two months of what's a doctrinally correct order? Like how 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 would you tell somebody to fix or to rectify that in their brain? Well, I think first of all we appreciate any comments, and you know you're right, Nikki. We did we did get a couple here on five O of some discrepancies in, in 5.0. Um, there was a couple errors. Um, yeah, the clerical errors always exist. And, 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 and there were some discrepancies in context, especially, for example, um, course of action and development in the MDMP, and there was a, a difference between what is in the SRG and then what is in FM 5.0. So, so the, the, you know, feedback is good. And so from our standpoint, we have a tool which is called a change. And so we can write a quick change sort of kind of rectifying some of those. So, so when we get feedback, if it's up there at a level where we think, you know, this is Army-wide and it's a, a bit of a problem, we can cut a change real quick um, to answer that question. Now, now, your question, though, was what do you do when you see a discrepancy besides, you know, providing feedback? Generally, usually, there's a hierarchy to doctrine. ADPs, Army Doctrinal Publications, are the fundamentals and set fundamental ideas and a lot of terms. The next level is FM, field manuals, which has a priority in a sense of kind of hierarchy. And then ATPs, Army uh, uh, Techniques Publications, are ways in which you can do things and, and they're, they're looser. So if you were like looking between books and the difference between an FM and an ATP, you probably should say, oh, you're not restricted. I can, you know, doctrine lets me do a lot of things. And so I can use the techniques. But keep in mind, though, that like the FM, for example, on planning, FM50 is the proponent for all things planning. The staff reference guide offers techniques that can vary a bit. So uh, I, I hope that answers your question. No, it does. I think that there's always going to be, so there's clerical errors that happen. We're all humans. That's what writers are. But you know. Yeah. If if you notice a discrepancy or a problem, again, uh, there's an email address in the front of each one of those things. Uh, there's a process. There's a form out there. You know, I think it even says it in the in in the inside the first page, right? If you you know send suggested changes on DA form twenty twenty eight two, and then gives the CAD kind of Leavenworth uh, mailbox, uh, and we get those reviewing now. Sometimes you just collect them for a couple months and then maybe go cut a change. In other instances, like what Mike just talked about, it's kind of a big deal. We think we need to do a change like right now. Uh, so we're working on that to kind of correct this particular error. Uh, but it'll take six months or a year for all the bogeys to come out before you actually decide if you're going to do a change or not. And sometimes it's going to be like, look, it's just going to go the way it is because I'm out of bandwidth. I've got... You know, I've on my next two big projects, and I just don't have the people I can assign to come up with uh, the change that probably needs to happen to to make a bunch of administrative kind of changes. But we'll find someone if it's if it's you know a substantive uh, uh, content issue. So with these two books, and actually with with all the doctrine, you know, we've got a whole crop of brand new majors showing up to CGSOC right down the road at Lewis and Clark Center. Um, along with it, we've got all kinds of PME starting out this summer again for, for leaders. What other books are out there that you, like if you could find yourself as an 04, what would you tell yourself to read right now that would complement 50 and 60? The big eyes on Chuck, he's like, what would I tell myself to read? <laughs> well, coming soon, 
coming soon uh, is FM 3.0, and uh, that's October, right? Um, that is the book that is going to, uh, you know, kind of set uh, uh, some changes, and it actually changes our Army operational concept officially from um, unified land operations to multi-domain operations. So that is a book that, that you're definitely going to need to be paying attention to when it comes out. Um, but, you know, like we talk about students, but I, I've always, you know, when I was, I, I wasn't an expert on all doctrine, right? But whatever echelon I was, and you're talking about students, but always needed to know what my job was. So that's the staff. I always needed to know, you know, MDMP and uh, how to write an order, right? So there's your five and six. But then it was like your echelon specific book. I was a, you know, I'm in an, an infantry battalion. Well, the infantry battalion book's pretty important. Um, that really doesn't get to the students because they're going to be covering a range of issues. But, you know, as I had my different jobs, it always was kind of an FM 5060 kind of thing. And then the echelon unit I was in were the books that I kind Those of Those students are getting assignment for. orders, though, at some point. That's where you start, I think. But, you know, knowing your COE's doctrine is really important. I mean, the ADP and the FMs that apply to your chosen career field is spot on. Because especially when you go to CGSC, you're going to be looked upon one of 16 in your classroom for all those questions that apply to your career field. And so knowing your COE's doctrine is important. Uh, you know, when you talked about 506030, 394 is a really good manual. I mean, knowing a little bit about each of the echelons, you know, what are their roles and responsibilities and, you know, what are the functions they perform. Uh, that's a really good thing to know. So I would kind of throw that out there as well. Boss, how about you? I was going to re reinforce Wills. If you come here as as an engineer or an artilleryman or whatever, you know, you should leave an expert as a staff officer, okay? Not only with what's my job and how do I do it, but you need to be the expert uh, for that particular uh, uh, branch or functional area because you're the guy the commander's going to lean on uh, uh, for information. And oh, by the way, it can't just be on our doctrine, but you got to understand the threat as well. Uh, the, the, the G2, the twos of the world are, are great Americans and they do yeoman's work, but they should not be the expert on how a threat is going to deploy his artillery. That should be your fire support officer or your fist corps or whoever your fires guy is on the staff. Same thing with, you know, all the other branches and functional areas out there. So you need to kind of understand both aspects, uh, both aspects of that uh, as a staff officer. For those of you uh, who have any interest in this at all, you know, we are part of the AIM cycle. Uh, I will tell you that uh, we're always looking for talent up here. Uh, I've been doing this about 15, and Mike is doing this about 20. Uh, and we both think that AIM has brought us the highest quality active duty people we've seen in quite a long time. Uh, and, and as a result, the quality of the product that's going out is greatly improved, believe it or not. So if you have a burning desire to contribute and be a doctrine author, you know, keep your eye out for the next AIM cycle. Gentlemen, I can't thank you enough for sitting down and talking about these manuals and about the process that we, that we use to develop them. Um, I think it offers a unique insight because they are two, you know, first of all, FM60, like I said, it was the most popular by far on the download side. And I think even, you know, it rivaled paper copies of the Ranger Handbook. I don't know, I'm just gonna throw it out there. Mike is giving me <laughs> side eye. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I will reiterate exactly what, what Chuck said. If you find discrepancies as you, the audience, are out there reading the books, please don't hesitate to go to the preface and check out the process of making sure that we can receive feedback on these two absolutely critical manuals, especially the United States Army. In preparing for this podcast, I went back to a book that I've mentioned previously on this podcast, which is Walter E. Krechik's U.S. Army Doctrine from the American Revolution to the War on Terror. I also looked at a couple of papers that were out there, and you can find them online. Conceptual Tangle of Contemporary Planning and Doctrine by 2019 from James Jacobs. I also saw an excellent paper from John Woo in 2011 on size of operational staffs, less, maybe more. 
and another one called Army Staff Doctrine Development Towards Mission Command and Decline of Staff Performance by David Mayer in 2018. Also, if you're very curious about the idea of how doctrine nests and how a doctrine writer writes about doctrine before he started writing doctrine, you can check out A Common Understanding of Conflict, the doctrinal relationship between FM 100-5 and Joint Doctrine, written in 1997 by a young Major Mike Flynn. Oh, boy. You found my autograph. Oh, boy. And as always, you can actually find versions of our brand new FM50 Planning and Orders Production and FM60 Commander and Staff Organization and Operations on the Army Publishing Directorate website. For all this, we want to thank our listeners for joining us today. Our production is coordinated by Mr. Ted Crisco, and our editing and sound is provided by the decisively doctrinal Captain Wyatt Harper. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe on either Apple or Google Podcasts for new episodes, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter as well at U.S. Army Doctrine for updates from the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate, as well as our Doctrine Digest videos, audiobooks, and most importantly, new doctrine and even changes to doctrine. Finally, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official position of the United States Army, the U.S. Training and Doctrine Command, or the Combined Arms Center. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Nikki Dean, and this has been breaking doctrine.